Hello, I'm Nicole Abadie and I write about books for Good Weekend. Welcome to the Books, Books, Books podcast in which I interview the best writers from Australia and overseas about their latest books. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to a very special episode of Books, Books, Books. Today I will be speaking to Karen Williams, OAM, Executive Director of the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, an Australian book industry charity dedicated to lifting literacy levels in remote Indigenous communities. The Foundation's vision is one of equity of opportunity for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children living in remote communities. According to recent NAPLAN results, only 36% of Indigenous Year 5 students in remote communities are reaching national minimum reading standards, and that's compared to 96% of non-Indigenous students. At a time when people all over the world are engaging with the Black Lives Matter movement, this seemed like the right time to learn about an Australian not-for-profit which is a force for good, working closely with Indigenous communities at a grassroots level to raise the literacy levels of Indigenous children and to instill a lifelong love of reading. Their motto is Reading Opens Doors. Before I speak to Karen, I'll just give you a little bit of uh, background information about the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. It really started back in 2004 when Susie Wilson, a former teacher and the owner of Riverbend Books in Brisbane, launched the Riverbend Readers Challenge to raise money to boost Indigenous literacy levels. In 2007, the challenge partnered with the Australian book industry and the Fred Hollows Foundation to become the Indigenous Literacy Project. And in 2011, it became the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, a national not-for-profit organisation whose aim is to improve literacy levels in remote Indigenous communities. It currently works with about 400 remote communities and so far it has gifted over half a million books to schools, health centres and other organisations. Karen Williams, who's here today with us as the Executive Director, and she's been integrally involved with the Foundation since its inception. In the recent Queen's Birthday Honours List, Karen received an Order of Australian Medal for service to Indigenous education through literacy programs. Karen, welcome to the program and a huge congratulations on the extremely well-deserved OAM that you received recently. Thank you so much, Nicole, and um, that was a beautiful introduction. Let me start by asking you a few general questions about the foundation, and then we'll talk in a little bit more detail about the um, the work that it does. What is the Indigenous Literacy Foundation and what does it do? Um, very basically, or in a nutshell, we're a small independent charity of the Australian book industry um, and we really draw on its unique skills, uh, skills of publishers, booksellers and authors to help us um, ad address the inequity in remote communities um, and you've talked about the fairly appalling statistics around literacy um, and for kids in remote communities it's all about opportunity it's all about um, being able to the opportunity of um, having access to books books are the very beginning of that whole process of learning to read and developing your literacy. 
Um, and it's about having books in language, which is so important. Um, so we're about opening the door to opportunity and uh, vision is that we're providing kids in the remote community with choice and that's future choice around their education, around um, employment and around, um, of course, their well-being. Karen, when did you first become involved? I, I know that you're involved right from the beginning, but could you tell us how you, how you became involved? Absolutely. So it was um, about 15 years ago and I received a phone call from Susie Wilson and I think it was about four hours later um, after um, a very long and passionate conversation, she invited me to um, help her put together a team of people from the Australian book industry. Really, her vision and idea was that we have the skills within the industry to address um, access to books and publishing books in language. Um, and uh, what we really needed to do was to lobby everyone and get them involved. Um, Susie had been to a conference where she heard Jeff McMullen talk about um, the appalling conditions in Outback Australia and he'd said he'd travelled to every underdeveloped country in the world um, but he, he'd seen nothing like the conditions here in Australia. So the question he posed was still posing today is how is that possible in a wealthy country like Australia? Um, so the idea was get a team together, um, fundraise, um, form a partnership and, um, you know, begin to take the small steps to um, address the issue. You were working in the book industry at that time, weren't you? You'd, you'd been in publishing for some time. That's right. Karen, I've seen you talking before about um, the fact that there are many reasons for the low literacy rates amongst Indigenous children. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? What are the reasons? Why are the reading literacy rates so low? So if we talk about where we work, which is in remote um, Australia, think of the tyranny of distance. So they are so far away. There are no books often in remote communities. Um, they're the nearest, there are no bookshops. Often there are no libraries. The nearest bookshop or library might be um, 300, 400, 500 kilometres away. Um, the, there are no books in children's first language. Um, the children speak three to four languages. Mm. They might only be encountering English when they go to playgroup or school. Mm, you but, made that point. I, I saw in another interview that you'd done and I, I, that hadn't even occurred to me that these children speak three or four languages, but it's just that English isn't one of them. That's right. That's right. So right from the word go, they're disadvantaged. And also, if you've ever travelled out to a remote community, um, you'll see that there aren't a lot of visual cues. You know, kids in cities, there's signs happening everywhere. There's 
you know, your bookshop, your library, lots of things happening. In a remote community, sometimes there aren't even street signs. Um, there may be only one local shop. That shop doesn't sell newspapers or books. Um, mm. So, again, the opportunity to engage with books and um, to have those visual cues aren't there in the same way they are there for kids in cities. Karen, the ILF attacks the problem of low literacy rates in three different ways or through its three core programs. One is book supply, one is book buzz, and one is the community literacy projects. I'd like to talk to you about each of those if I could. Mm -hmm. Let's start with book supply. So to date, the foundation has gifted over half a million books to over 400 communities all over Australia. So could we start by you telling us where do the books come from and what sort of books are they? Are they children's books, adults' books, or a combination? Yeah, okay. So um, first of all, just uh, around um, how we operate that program. So the books are, um, they're new, they're the best quality books um, that are available. Um, we go through a very strict criteria of choosing and selecting those books. And first of all, we start with a panel of people who worked in remote communities and taught um, children's publishers and experts who are working in the book industry who know what are available. And we engage with it's over 40, 40 to 50 publishers across Australia. And every year we invite publishers to uh, send us a selection of titles that they would like to consider to be in the book program. Um, and, and so we receive up to 500, 500 to 800 books. Um, to sift through and select. Um, it's a very intensive two days. Um, and at the end of two, two days, we have incredible piles of books everywhere um, in, the, in the office. Um, but by then we've got, we've selected up to, it's around about 150 books. Those books uh, range from everything from um, books for babies, lovely, beautiful cloth books, board books, right through to what we call books that will go into a community pack. So that might be beautiful art books, cookbooks, craft books, poetry, um, anything that engages um, the, the audience um, from you know, as, as I said, from babies right through to elders in the community. And, Karen, once you select the books that you want, do you then go back to the publishers and ask them for a certain number of copies of each of yep. those books? Yeah. So now we're, we're um, looking at, because we've grown so dramatically, so in, a, in our first year we were, in the first year that Susie Wilson took out books to community, it was six boxes of books. Um, this year um, our goal is 98,000 books just this year and we've delivered already um, it's about 93,000 books. And I saw that you've now just recently entered into a partnership with Australia Post 
where they're going to help you with the delivery of the books. That's right. It's it's such a wonderful partnership. Um, it's ensured that books can travel from a warehouse in Melbourne right through to Tiwi Island, about 70 kilometres north of Darwin. Mm. So uh, either you travel out on a boat, it's about a couple of hours or an hour and a half on a boat or 15 minutes by plane. So that's one of the most remote communities that you work with, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. And um, can I just ask you, what language are the books in? Are they all in English or are some of them in, in language as well? Um, a small proportion are in uh, language and mm-hmm. maybe the books that we've published or we've seen might be a book that's published by a community school um, in language um, so they go out to community. But pretty importantly, 40% of the books are written by Indigenous authors and illustrated or are published by Indigenous um publishing houses like Magvala. So the importance of that is that the the books are on topics and include Indigenous culture and something that kids can really engage with. As you know, if the kids don't engage with or identify, see themselves in the story, they, you know, they just won't be interested in picking up and reading on. Karen, tell us about some of the feedback that you've received over the years in relation to how how the children react when these bundles of books arrive in their community. I know there's some lovely stories about that. Mm-hmm. And I know you've also shown me some lovely handwritten messages that children have sent to the foundation saying thank you. But have you got your own experience of having been there when books have arrived or bringing books with you? Yeah, the... the um sense of uh, excitement and joy is enormous. When we go into a community, we often set up a bookshop and um, the kids get a T-shirt, so there's a bit of a ceremony, a morning tea. Um, the kids will have a book reading. Um, the kids will get a bag uh, with a T-shirt in it and the bookshop's all set up and they can go and choose two or three books and often those kids are choosing books for someone in their house so you know it's for their baby brother it's not uh, kind of me um, and and it's interesting to watch that process um, we, we were in um, Yakanara once and uh, the, the books were all laid out and you could see this young child had seen the uh, uh, the Guinness Book of um, Animals. I think that was the title. Anyway, beautiful, big, uh, big eyes was on it. You know, we invited the kids up to choose it and this child just died for this book. And the teacher came along. I remember the teacher came along and went, oh, no, no, I think you'd be better off with this choice. This kid had hugged the book. <laughs> there was no way that uh, he was going to relinquish that that book. So it's that kind of oh, do you mean I can have more than one book? And um, to see them with their backpacks walking home is real joy. In the broader community, we always ask for feedback. Um, you know, what's the impact of this program? And 
Um, we're told things like it's bringing whole families together in a shared reading activity. Um, I, we're seeing, you know, generations reading to each other and often what might happen is a child might um, read the story in English and um, an elder might read it back to them um, or tell the story back in language. Wow. In a health um, clinic, for example, they might use the book um, to, to, to show the parent, to show a father or a mother um, how to model. And um, at three months, child should be looking at illustrations and pointing things out, turning the pages. Um, so there's all kinds of wonderful feedback coming. So let's get to the, um, the second program that you run, the Books Buzz program. That's an early literacy program for the under fives for children before they start school. Currently, you're reaching about 45 to 50 early learning centres and playgroups around Australia, I gather. Can you tell us a little bit about the Book Buzz program and how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, as, as you said, um, it's a partnership. So we work with um, playgroups and in the Northern Territory, for example, we're working with um, families as first teachers. It's a program which provides a dedicated story time um, and all the resources that you might need to run that story time in your... The, the premise of it, it's recognising that parents are their first teachers of their children and that engagement with, with a beautiful board book um, is essential and importantly, um, or the most important thing about the program is that the communities choose the books that they want to read with their children and the community translate those books into their language. Um, so all of those books translated into language, Cara, and the ones that are going as part of the books buzz for the under fives, are all of them, I think you, you showed me before a lovely edition of an old favourite of mine, Where is Spot? Yes. And that's in English, but it's also in language. And it looks like a beautiful board book like the ones that we would use just in English, but they're in language as well. Is that what you've done? Have you translated a lot of these old favourites into language? Yes, and it's always the community choice. So... What we do when we go in and register a, a, a play group, we sit down with them, we give them a library of 30 beautiful board books. There's a whole set of resources like um, puppets and there's there's a mat so and beautiful toys, little crocodiles and snakes and um, it, all, all those things that animate story time. Um, and so the community look at the library, which is theirs to keep, and they choose um, the titles that they would like to get, to get translated um, and multiple copies of that book will be provided to the community um, along with, we call it a bush, a bush kit, um, and in that bush kit is a, a big mat so that, you know, the reading story time session can happen outdoors or anywhere that the kids and the elders and um, family members can get together and read with those kids. So but can families take them home, Karen, or if, if um, 
if it's being done in families, do the families come and borrow the books and the bush kit or do they come in to the, the early childhood centre? So there's a set of resources that stay in the actual centre, but there's a kit um, that's given to the children along with the T-shirt and um, they get to take that little kit of, um, of resources um, back home with them. And again, have you ever sat in, I know you've made numerous trips to remote communities, have you ever sat in on any of these um, these groups where the children, the, the books are being read? Can you tell us, a little, tell us about that? What's it like? So exciting. So last year, for example, we went to Nooka. Nooka is in, it's about a, a four-hour plane trip from Darwin. Um, so it's quite remote remote um it's on the Roper river and um it's a beautiful community with the play group and the purpose was to launch book buzz in the play group itself and um the teachers and the parents had got together and decided that they were going to do the very cranky bear um do a little um performance of that in language and so they all dressed up and um, we arrived sat down the kids were all excited sat down and we had this beautiful performance in language so at the end of that each each child um, at playgroup got a beautiful pack their own books translated and um, we had we always have a a bit of a, um, a ceremony in, t- in terms of a morning tea and um, it was just gorgeous. The third program is the Community Literacy Projects and we've touched on that a little bit but the foundation actually publishes books written by Indigenous people. So far the foundation has published 92 books, 57 of them in Indigenous language and you're planning 14 more in 2020. How important is it for Indigenous children to read books in their own languages? Oh, it's absolutely essential. Um, and as, as you know, um, all research points out that children should learn to read in their own language. Um, it's part of the development of literacy and um, their young brains are wired. And so when they begin to learn a second language or third, sometimes for a child in remote community, English might be their third or fourth language. So by the time they go to school and they're starting to learn to read in English, um, if they've had that opportunity of learning and seeing books in their own language, um, they're on that path to successful learning and education. Karen, you started, the, the foundation started publishing them um, the books in language you said in about 2011. Are you the first organisation to publish books for children in language? Was anyone doing this before you? Um, there, there is certainly um, in different states in in um, Australia. For example, in um, Northern Territory, there are dedicated language centres that are set up to um, publish books in language and. Two of our board members, for example, are based in Yakala, and Yakala has a very vibrant language centre. And our board members have been very actively involved in 
writing resources and publishing them. I think the unique thing we're doing is producing that commercially beautiful hardback publication that takes someone's uh, children's stories and puts them into that book form, form that, you know, that beautiful edition that kids see. And I want to describe these for my our listeners. I'm really sorry that this isn't video, that we can't actually show you these listeners, but they are beautiful, top quality, beautifully illustrated, beautifully produced, hardback children's books. Uh, they're absolutely exquisite and they would, you can just imagine, vividly illustrated, bright colours and just, you know, of very much of a commercial standard, anybody would be thrilled to receive these books. And just in case anybody who is listening is interested, the foundation on its website does sell a number of these books. Karen, I'm just looking at one called I Saw, We Saw. Let's take that as an example. I gather that the way these books are made is that the ILF sends people out to to carry out workshops with children in a particular community. So can you tell me a little bit, for example, about this one, I Saw, We Saw, which yeah. is a beautiful illustrated book. How did that come to be made? Okay, so basically um, uh, publishing community literacy uh, program is all driven from community. So we get requests and it might come by a school or an elder um, to publish, write, create stories. And um, so every year we run about six to eight workshops and we're travelling out with a team of ambassadors and they'll include people like um, uh, Josh Pike, um, and James, uh, Alison Lester. She's a lifetime ambassador and has been travelling out to remote communities for 15 years. Um, and the way she works with kids us is so beautiful. It's um, incredible. So do they come up with the ideas? Do the children come up with the ideas for a story and then she or whoever it is work with them to develop those ideas and then to illustrate? Absolutely. It's all that sitting down and uh, teasing out that, that process of what kind of story do you want to create? And, you know, the kids are full of ideas and it might be about their pet buffalo who thinks he's a dog in the community or crocodiles or it might be about going hunting or fishing or it might be a song that they've created. Um, the kids are alive with stories and it's really interesting because Andy Griffiths, um, you know, I was talking to him the other day and he, he, he was reminding me of that experience of being in um, a community out on the Roper River with him and he was telling them this story about his pet dog and it's a really tragic story because his pet dog had been run over by a, a by a car and, you know, very sad and the kids just dismissed it and then, oh, that's nothing, you know. There was a this giant crocodile in community the other day and it got run over by a lorry. Anyway, they showed us a photo of this crocodile who must have been about five metres. It was enormous. It was absolutely just incredible but Andy said never try them out 
that was sort of many, many, many years ago. But uh, yeah, there are lots of stories about um, the very hungry crocodile. Um, that's one beautiful story that um, came from a, a community, a young boy, nine years old, um, in um, Kananara um, many years ago. Yeah, that, that's a beautiful children's book. And please excuse my pronunciation. I'm holding that one as well. Again, I wish I could show you, listeners. No way, Yuripike. And yeah. that says, so on the front it says, by the children of the Millikapiti School, Melville Island, with Alison Lester. So, Karen, tell me, how do the children respond to receiving these beautiful books in their own language? Oh, they absolutely, as you can imagine, um, love it. And I remember a group of girls coming down from Tiwi and they created a story um, in three days and the publishing company, Penguin Random House, had turned it around in um, virtually 24 hours and produced Is that part of the CREATE initiative? Tell us about what that is. Okay, so the CREATE initiative came out of one of our very first um, um, ambassador trips uh, to the Tiwi Islands, to Melville. Um, we visited and stayed at Tiwi College and the principal at the time said to us, you know, um, I wanted to create something special for the girls here because boys get lots of opportunities to travel to Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane on sporting scholarships. Um, but I want to do something for literacy and for the girls. Could you um, have a think about it? And we went away and we talked to various publishers and um the first year that we trialled it, it was in at Alan and Unwin and a group of girls came down and it was the first time on a plane from the Tiwi Islands, yeah. so both from Bathurst Island and Melville Island, um, but they were all um, uh, being educated at Tiwi College. Um, so that big trip down, we had to give them um, warmer gear to, to, to wear because that first time they came down, it poured with rain um and it was it was cold you know and um and then they went into the offices of Alan and Unwin and they worked with people there to make the book is that right yeah absolutely and it was um you know they couldn't believe it they couldn't believe the offers that they have this beautiful balcony that wraps around the building and you have views of the city and um you know they had a little um the room that we're in, very spectacular, a little coffee bar, hot chocolate. Um, you know, they experienced, the kids stayed at NCIE in Redfern and they had to, as part of the whole process, is also about um, being in that city environment and catching a train. You know, the concept of um, sitting next to a stranger, of going to a shop and actually buying a cup of coffee um you know so when when they're down they have all sorts of incredible rich experiences so um they get offers of going to plays to bengari dance to um you know to to, to travel out to we always take them to the zoo for example um and karen these are teenage girls aren't they Yes. And then the, the books that they're producing are for teenage girls, right? Um, not always. There's a range of books. And, again, um, we always leave um, that um, market, if you like, um, 
what what kind of story do you want to create here? Do you want to create and 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 the ideas are just flowing, and then eventually it evolves. So, um, in the past three years, it has been a story which is about a young girl who wants to play football, and but she lives with a very mean auntie who won't allow her to develop that. So she's got to sneak away to play football, and it's all about her dreams and aspirations. So you get that. Um, culture and that idea of what life is like for a young um, Tiwi girl growing up. And then these books are, are, have the full production values of any commercial books. Do you then send a whole lot of those books back to the community that's produced them? Yep, absolutely. And the kid, we always take the girls um, when they come down into a bookshop because, again, that bookshop experience is mind-blowing and um you know, last time we took a group of students in and um, we gave them a voucher and, you know, here's a voucher. You can buy two or three books with it. They saw their own books on the shelves and they're all running up to buy that book. We're going, no, 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 you'll get free copies of that. Karen, I've been wondering what challenges has COVID-19 presented in terms of delivering books and how have you met those challenges? Um, it's been very challenging in terms of um, not being able to travel out to remote communities. So that whole workshop and engagement process has stopped. So our team has started to put together digital workshops um, to see how they will run. Um, we're very lucky with our book supply program that um, the in our first week of sending out um, and engaging with remote communities via our email and website, we got orders for 50,000 books and that was the first week of March. Penguin Random House's warehouse, UBD, turned those orders around overnight virtually, and Australia Post got them out to communities. So they hit communities, arrived in communities, um, just as that full impact of COVID was happening. In um, mid-March. Yeah. yeah, so um, in two weeks after mid-March, we had another lot of orders for 20,000 books. So we were very, very much seeing a demand from communities communities for these resources um, yeah Karen I want to ask you a little bit about the funding that ILF receives do you receive any government funding no we don't um, um, we're small independent and um, the silver lining is um, being uh, raising all our own funds ourselves we've been and being small we're able to be responsive to needs in community and to listen to what they are um, obviously the demand from community for example to publish more books in language is important and we've been able to do that um, so where does the funding come from Funding comes from a very intense program, very active marketing and fundraising campaigns. Um, we, we have very um, loyal donors, everyone from 
pensioners right through to um, um, people involved in workplace giving programs and recurring donors. We have a small, um, very sympathetic uh, group of businesses and we have um, wonderful organisations like, for example, Mitsubishi Corporation, who, um, who, who have given us grants that we've applied for, but grants which enable us to grow our book supply program and um, to engage with more book buzz sites um, across Australia. So all in all, we've been very fortuitous. Um, Has there been an impact this year, Karen, from the, the terrible Australian bushfires at the beginning of the year and then from COVID-19? Absolutely. In fact, in our first three months, um, it was so dire and we completely understood, you know, what was happening in our broader community. It's very tragic with the bushfires and then um, with COVID-19, with people losing jobs with a whole lot of um, uncertainty, we saw up to 60% de decrease in our income. We um, wrote down our, our, our fundraising um, goals by 40%, went to our board and said, um, you know, we feel um, this is, um, we're, we're going into unknown territory here. We just don't know how things are going to to evolve. And um, your ability to fundraise is obviously limited. Absolutely. About all of our events-based programs fell, fell out. Um, and that involved, um, you know, everything, as you mentioned, from trivia nights right through to us going and delivering um, a speech as part of a conference which gave us profile, which then ensured that when we went out with campaigns, people were aware of what we were doing. So from schools to businesses mm. to mm. Um, organisations who were doing their, their rep plans and wanted us to come and speak to them. Um, so we had to kind of adapt and um, we've been running virtual events um, and running, um, you know, everything as much as possible through through our um, Facebook and social media. Yeah. I'd like to ask you a little bit about the Black Lives Matter movement. Has that had an impact on the ILF and its work? I know that at the time that the movement initially started to take off, we had protests here in Australia in early June and there were quite a few things floating around on Facebook of people saying, if you don't want to protest for health reasons, you don't feel comfortable about doing that. Here's some great Australian organisations who are doing fantastic work who you could support financially. And I, I was very happy to see that the foundation was, was mentioned in a number of those sorts of posts. But has there been some engagement between you with, well, between you and the Black Lives Matter movement or have you seen an upsurge in support and interest as a result of it? Absolutely, quite a significant um, response to that campaign. Um, it just, I think, very tragically um, put Australia to shame in terms of what's the injustice um, that has existed in our country for a long, long time. And a lot of people were... Um, uh, so it's a very emotional thing, but um, a lot of 
people were appalled. Um, a lot of people um, wanted to do something and um, we, for example, have had organisations who phoned us um, during that campaign um, and during the end of financial year campaign and said, you know, we sat down with our whole team and um, our employees want to do something that is a bit more than just give money. We want to be part of a journey. We want to be part of an organisation that is making a difference. Um, can we partner with you in some way to do that? And um, so, you know, we we feel very privileged that um, at this point in the history that we've been able to to receive that support from people and. We also feel a huge responsibility to make sure that we're part of that process that makes it better. So in all of the donations that came through to us, ensure that our programs are going to be sustainable far into the future. So this year is 10 years as a foundation. You've come a long way in 10 years. What are your hopes and dreams for the future in terms of what work the foundation can and will do? Um, there are big hopes and dreams. Well, really what we are doing, the process of our growth is to move from being focused on our outputs to impact and to being an organisation of excellence that empowers remote communities um, as the kids write these stories, we would love to see them um, continue to be mentored to become, you know, Australia's and the world's best-selling authors. Um, the talent is enormous. Um, we, we would like to play a role in ensuring that language is preserved um, through community um, we would like to ensure that communities have the skills and whatever support they need to write, develop and produce stories. Karen, what can people who are listening today do to help the foundation? How can they get involved? What's the most useful thing people could do? I think the most important thing is um, they can hop on board and um, make a donation to the and foundation. And that's on your website? They, can they do that? Right. So there's an Indigenous, there's a fantastic Indigenous Literacy Foundation website with a whole lot of information, beautiful illustrations, beautiful photographs, and, yes, you can actually donate via the site, can't you? That's right. Um, people can also buy our books and that's on our website website but also um, a range of commercial books are available through bookshops right across Australia so um, please have a look at our website um, or go to your local bookshop um, and support us that way. Um, the other thing which is really important for us is just networking um, in terms of reaching out, hold a great book swap. Can you tell us about the great book swap? What is it and how does it work? 
before COVID-19, it was our way of um, engaging largely with schools and businesses and book clubs. Um, so it was the, the, that idea of a book and a story is a precious thing and you or I have a book that we really love on Indigenous Literacy Day, which this year is the 2nd of September. You bring that book along, you set up a store in your library, your school, your um, have a morning tea in your company and swap a, a book for a gold coin. Everyone brings a book and everyone buys a book, swaps a book for a gold coin, basically. Um, and this year, because of COVID, um, there, there are restrictions around events. We're, we're suggesting people do it later in the year um, or, or jump online and make, make a donation anyway. Um, we have a very big virtual event on the 2nd of September. Again, because of COVID, uh, we reimagined it. it. It will be... It will be um, a wonderful virtual event with Jessica Malboy singing. singing songs. She's one of your ambassadors, isn't she? That's right, yeah. singing songs in language. You'll see footage of kids and community workshop programs. You'll hear June Oscar delivering a message on the value of um, what we do, um, publishing books in language. Um, and, Karen, how do people tune into this? Is it via the Facebook page, the ILF? Facebook page? Yes, it will be through YouTube station. And um, if you jump on our website, there will be a link there. The program will run for 45 minutes, um, at, but it will be available after that for any schools or individuals, anyone to um, have a look and see what we do. And it, it, it will be such a fabulous celebration. And ordinarily you hold that at the Opera House, don't you? Ordinarily that's a big event that you hold each year at the Opera House. That's right. Very sadly. Not, not this year. Hopefully next. Karen, it's been an absolute privilege to talk to you. Um, I can hand on heart say the Indigenous Literacy Foundation uh, is one of the most wonderful uh, not-for-profit organisations in Australia. I'm a supporter. A lot of people in the book industry are supporters. I hope that some of you who are listening today who weren't otherwise aware of it will want to get involved and to, uh, to engage with the foundation and its incredibly important work. Karen, thank you so much for talking to me on Books, Books, Books today. It was a great privilege. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Books, Books, Books. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go to my website, nicoleabbotty.com.au to listen to all the episodes and find out more about the podcast. You can also find me, Nicole Abbotty, on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and look for my reviews in Good Weekend. You can subscribe to Books, Books, Books at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all the usual places. Since it's a new podcast, it would be lovely if you could go to any of these platforms and give Books, Books, Books a rating or review. Thank you. I look forward to talking books with you again soon. 